Hey, Rob, thanks for being back on the show again. It's been a while. Thanks, Dan. That's all you got to say. <laughs> it's been too long. It's been too long. Let's do that again. Let's do that. Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner. So when I was about 17, I worked in a convenience store on Long Island where I grew up. Early on Sunday mornings, I'd drag myself out of bed and I'd work at the cash register. But probably the most important part of the job was running the lotto machine. It was super depressing. These people who also dragged themselves out of bed would stand in front of me yelling out number configurations as I furiously typed them into the machine, as well as using that peculiar lotto code, like putting things in a box. And they would throw away dollar after dollar. Almost nobody won anything ever. The house always won. But at least I told myself this money supposedly went towards fixing New York's underfunded public education system. Emphasis on the supposedly, of course. So when I heard that Ohio was legalizing sports betting, I was already predisposed to hate the idea. Now, to be fair, I've done some betting over the years, a slot machine here, a slot machine there. Actually, I won quite a bit once on a layover in Vegas. But as an academic who studies and teaches about health disparities, but also as a sports fan, I've been worried about what's going to come from Governor DeWine and the state legislature's decision to legalize sports betting throughout Ohio. And that's just what we're going to be talking about on the show. On today's episode, I welcome back friend of the show, Rob Moore of Scioto Analysis, for some perspective on sports betting and what we think the likely effects for the state will be, both economically and as a public health matter. As listeners know, Rob's a policy analyst with real insight. He's also as funny as he is thoughtful, and I never laugh quite as much as I do when he's on the show. In a way, he embodies what I like about making Prognosis Ohio, namely addressing some important and even depressing questions, but doing so without losing our humanity. I hope that this interview has a little something to offer all of our listeners, whether you're interested in public health, sports, or you have a morbid curiosity in the culture of corruption that underlays a lot of our state politics, or maybe something else. As always, we'll be providing links to learn more about Rob's work, his outfit, Scioto Analysis, as well as the many references we make along the way. And while you're checking out the show notes, we do ask you to follow us on social media, consider supporting us for $3 a month on Patreon, and leave a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us to grow the show. Okay, now for my conversation with Rob Moore of Scioto Analysis. Hey, Rob, thanks for being on the show again. It's, it's been a while. It's been too long, Dan. It's so great to talk to you. Every once in a while, something comes along and we say, well, let, let's do that. And, and you and I have been talking back and forth about sports betting for a bit. So we thought, well, hey, that would make uh, a, a cool episode to get into a little bit. And it was motivated by the fact that Governor DeWine signed House Bill 29 into law in December, right? December of 2021, legalizing sports betting throughout Ohio which opens the door for betting on professional college and esports um, by 2023. Though it seems like some legislators are keen to try to bump this up a bit and there's another conversation brewing. So the, the report you released through Scioto Analysis finds some consensus, and I, I'm gonna say this and you can say it back to me and tell me if I got it wrong or right or whatever here, but the report finds some consensus among the economists you talked with that the benefits of this development may outweigh the risks but sports betting addiction is a real concern, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's an appropriate fit for this show. And it, it also seems, though, as we often hear economists admit, which is a good thing, 
that there are a lot of unknowns here, right? We, we don't know exactly how this fans out. So I, I want to start with just having you talk a little bit about the report um, and, and the survey you do. And, and, and also, the, ben- the what, what are these benefits that we're talking about that are included in the report's basic findings? So the some may statement that you had is probably the best way to talk about yeah, this. Consensus yeah. is not the word I would use for this, okay. mainly because this is the one of the questions that we've had the least consensus on that we've asked this panel. So we have this mm-hmm. panel of economists in Ohio we've been doing for about a year and a half now. And these are about over 40 economists from universities across the state. Over 30 universities are represented here. And we asked them on a month-to-month basis about public policy questions that have some sort of economic ramification. And last month, we asked about uh, sports betting because of this legalization of sports betting bill that you were talking about. Right. And they came back pretty split. Of the 23 that we asked, only 10 of them said that they agreed that the economic benefits would outweigh the economic costs of legalizing sports betting. And there was even more disagreement among the economists on whether the equity, there'd be equity implications, whether this would hurt or help low income people versus upper income people. So there's actually not a consensus. And that's not something we found on a lot of these questions that we've asked. Okay. So are we going into this? I mean, let's use lay terms here, not this economic wonkery. Is Are we going into this really having no idea what's going to happen? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we don't know if it's going to be good for the economy or not. And a lot of this comes down to how you define the economy. Um, mm-hmm. Will more dollars and cents change hands? Definitely. Uh, does that mean that there's going to be an improvement in welfare in economic terms? Right. Economists seem to not know. Right. There's going to be more economic activity for sure, but the results of that or what that actually gives us in terms of benefits to the state or deficits, uh, we don't know. Yeah. And th- you asked a great question, which is, what do we mean when we're saying benefits? And mm-hmm. really, when we're talking about economic benefits, what we're talking about is people being able to get things that they want. That's the definition of economics is can people get more of things that they want versus less of things that they don't want. And a lot of people want to gamble. Uh, There was an NIH study that has been conducted over the years. And the most recent version came out in 2015. It found that about 77% of Americans have gambled in the past year. It also found that about, about 5% of people have some sort of problem gambling signs among that. Mm -hmm. So 77% gambling in some way, 5% uh, problem gambling. That means about 72% of people are gambling and not showing the signs of problem gambling. Mm -hmm. And we would count that as economic benefit if those people are going out and spending dollars in a way that they want to and they're not showing addictive signs. You know, we, we talk on this show a lot about disparity and, you know, inequities and things like that. What do we know about who gambles? And, you know, I'm guessing, like many things, that the negative consequences of sports betting aren't equally distributed. There's probably some kind of qualitative shaping to, you know, not only who bets, but also kind of who ends up dealing with the negative externalities, let's call them, the, the bad stuff that comes from, from betting. What do we know about that? Well, we know from this NIH study that was done is that if you gamble, you're more likely to be a man, you are uh, less likely to be white, and you're more likely to be 30 or younger. 
So generally gamblers are uh, men, they tend more to be people of color, and they also tend to be younger people. Um, among problem gamblers, there's also all those things are true. And then there's also two more things. You're, mo you're more likely to be low income if you're a problem gambler. And also you're more likely to be in a more distressed neighborhood or community or less likely to be in a less distressed one is really what the statistics say. So, so people with less discretionary money tend to w would find themselves more likely to be in that demographic then, right? In other words, you're not talking about people who are just taking some fun money that they have on the side. There may be people and there may be more people in the coming years who are looking to gambling as a way to maybe get out of debt or out of other problems they may have. What we're actually finding is that low income and high income people, they gamble the same amount. The prevalence is the same, but problem gambling is more prevalent among lower income people and people in more distressed communities. But sports gambling, the numbers are a little bit different though. And this is something that may factor into this. According to industry statistics that I've been able to find, the, the male to female ratio, I think in general gambling, it's like a two to one ratio. In sports gambling, it's like four to one male to female ratio. Yeah. Um, so men are even more prevalent. Um, about half of uh, sports gamblers are under age 35. And on top of that, nearly half are making uh, more than $75,000 a year, which the general population, it's about a third of people are making over $75,000 a year. So this sports gambling seems to be more concentrated among higher income people than uh, other forms of gambling is. Maybe you can help me understand something I've wondered about. You know, I, I have in my academic life always been interested in some of the language that gets used in these discussions, gambling, betting, gaming. Like there was this guy, Frank Luntz, you probably know this name. Maybe some listeners do. He was a, uh, Republican pollster kind of consultant, right? And, and and I understand that he was involved in, you know, back in the day, rebranding gambling as gaming, like the gaming industry in Vegas and all this kind of went through that. I mean, is there anything in this? Are these just interchangeable words? Or are we using language to kind of soften how we think about this, you know, betting versus gambling? I mean, I guess from a like, in game theoretic terms that economists might use, like a bet as a gamble, Right. But like, <laughs> yeah, but how do you make sense of that kind of general question? You know, I don't make much sense of it, to be honest. I don't think that there's a huge difference between these terms. Now, someone in the industry will tell you that gambling is more focused on it's a, it's a broader definition. And then betting is a more narrow one where you have a activity that is going to happen and you are and there are certain odds as to how it will turn out now, that still sounds like gambling to me i uh -huh. i don't think there's a real practical difference between gambling and betting um there is this other factor which is games of skill which generally public policy has been a little bit more okay with games of skill versus games of chance um you know like you can go out and win a golf tournament and be able to make money off of that. And that's not considered gambling. And we're less likely to regulate that. Why? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like there's still, there's, I mean, there's a, a broad, uh, you know, let's go back to John Rawls. The fact that you have those skills in the first place has, there's kind of a randomness to that. So like just cause Tiger Woods is born with certain capabilities or, you know, born with the ability to go out and become a good golfer. Does he deserve that money? Like it's, it, 
fundamentally, metaphysically, does this make any sense? You know, as we can get into yeah. the like political theory side of this, I don't know, but there is this distinction that's been made in public policy between games of skill and games of chance that, you know, has, has been important to people. Well, th- thanks for bringing John Rawls onto my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But let me ask you, so this is a total uh, rookie question here. I, I um, you know, I'm not faking my lack of knowledge around this. I mean, there's this old saying that, you know, the house always wins, right? In certain kinds of gambling, my understanding. But like, are there people who are just going to be really good at this? And like, and like, I don't know much about sports betting. So like, can you really like develop a skill or an approach toward this that, makes you a winner like are, are some people going to be thinking about this as we as we go through this in ohio that this is actually like you know there's obviously going to be a lot of losers and people who are going to you know waste some money and all that there always is but like can you really you know through analytics or th- through some other approach be a really good sports better gambler person you shouldn't be able to be i mean theoretically people the odds will change based on how people are making their bets. So the Mm -hmm. house is going to be adjusting their line and their payout based on where the bets are going. So betting is a really good information aggregation tool. And the people who are setting the lines are going to do that based on what bets are coming in. If you have insider information, it's different. So if you um, have forward information that, Kyler Murray is not going to play on Sunday and then you're going to make a bet on the Arizona Cardinals. Like, you know, you're going to have, you're going to be able to make a bet and make money off of that. Um, but that's insider trading. You know, this is betting and wall street are very similar in this way. So, you know, if I were to put money down on the blue jackets to win the Stanley cup, uh, which would be a terrible bet, but if I won, like I would win big. Right. So like, you know, I mean, is this where, you, you know, like pe- people, I mean, people have so much wrapped up in their relationship with sports. So I'm guessing in a way, it's a kind of like sobering way to look at something that a lot of people have a lot of emotions about. Like, yeah, you want the Buckeyes to beat Michigan, but you had to admit that maybe something didn't look good that day. Right. So like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, Ohio is such an incredibly um, you know, crazy sports place. And and that, 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 that's in terms of, you know, just like, winning all the time like the Buckeyes or this kind of like loser culture, you know, that, that people like to talk about and, you know, with the Browns and all that kind of stuff. So like, you know, is, is there a cultural piece that is unique to Ohio that you think about as somebody who is an Ohioan? You know, I mean, if you're in Kentucky, college basketball is a big deal and college football is obviously a really big deal in central Ohio and generally throughout Ohio. Um, so it's the, the type of betting might be different. I don't really have any data to, confirm or deny that Ohio would have more betting or less than other states. And I don't really know how I, how I would figure that out besides just going on polling or something like that. You know, you and I talked a little bit about um, the public health side of this. Yeah. Um, When we talk about gambling or betting, I mean, I guess the first one is there may be a kind of inclination to think of addiction as a kind of metaphor, like a, a word that's being applied, but is addiction to gambling different than alcohol or drugs? Um, however, the, the DSM-5 defines gambling disorder as a persistent and recurring problematic gambling behavior leading to clinically significant impairment or distress. And you know, like the DSM does, and we'll link to the DSM in the show notes, 
um, gives a whole bunch of different ways to think about this. Um, are you seeing critics coming out of the public health community specifically? Who, who are the critics? We, I think we know who the supporters are to some degree, and we suspect that people who are staked in the economics of it would maybe be on the supporter side more than the other. But what, what about the public health voice around this? I actually think the public health side is more, there's more consensus and it's kind of more obvious that there are a lot of people in the public health community who are worried about gambling. And in that 2015 study I was talking about, that it was actually an update, that NIH study from a 2011 study that had been conducted on the prevalence of gambling in the United States. And gambling was actually down in 2015 from 2011. Um, and they were using a five-year trend on that and they were seeing it decrease. I wonder in 2021 what that would look like. It seems like there's a lot of conversation around gambling. You've talked about how gambling betting lines are used in the public conversation, like on ESPN and things. That wasn't the yeah. case 10 years ago. Um, yeah. So it seems like gambling culture has changed to a certain extent. And I think the public health community is generally worried about this. What I actually think is more interesting is the lack of consensus in the economic community. The fact that we had only 10 out of 23 economists that we pulled across the state who said that they agreed that this was going to grow the economy and four said they disagreed four said no that's not going to happen and right. and the the rest of them were in the in the middle they they said we don't know and i think that this is not limited to the public health community that there's a there's there is a broader concern where people are like i don't really know what if the benefits are going to outweigh the cost and people are worried about the impacts of addiction you know, there seems to be a concession almost to the fact that this is happening and saying, I mean, we've seen this before, you know, lotteries often get talked about, well, yes, they're bad. And we know that like, you know, it, it can really hurt people's financial situation, but we're going to take that money and put it into the schools, right? That it's going to get reinvested. And you hear this, this kind of an argument uh, in, in a number of policy areas. Yeah. And the fact that that NIH study found that one to 5% of people are showing uh, problem gambling signs, depending on what definition of problem gambling you use, shows it is prevalent in the United States. That's that's one. That's not one to 5% of gamblers. That's one to 5% of the population. That's, mm. that's, you know, that's notable. So, uh, you know, you, you see these signs sort of like we got used to with tobacco and other areas. Like if you need help, here's a number to call for gambling support and, the legalization of sports betting is going to come with all these caveats, I'm sure, right, of, you know, how, how to get help, et cetera. Do you happen to know, are people calling these numbers? I guess I should be talking to the people who work at the, the places on the other end of those phone lines. But, you know, I'm just trying to imagine a moment where somebody says, I'm way in too deep here. I'm going to call this. And, and, and I guess from a public health perspective, like, does it work the same way other addictions work where your family and friends see this happening and kind of like intervene in some way. But I, I wonder like, is this all kind of window dressing around that piece of it? Or do we have any evidence that there's a real plan in place to help people who find themselves on the downside of this? Yeah. I mean, a powerful tool in policy analysis is analogy. And you and I have talked about how does this look, how does gambling look similar or different to marijuana or alcohol or you know, other illicit drugs, etc. Um, and I think something we can learn from alcohol, for instance, is, you know, you see an ad that has a whole bunch of people at a football game, like having beers and celebrating and stuff. And that says drink responsibly at the end. Like, mm -hmm. what does that really mean? So the alcohol industry is self-regulated. 
uh, they have made a they have, they have an agreement with the federal government that they will not advertise towards minors. And yet we do have some evidence that a lot of the advertising that's done by uh, people who I mean, by by alcohol companies are put on shows that are generally watched by people who are underage. So self-regulation, in, I mean, in general, like why would the industry not want to uh, encourage people to gamble a bunch? I mean, that's, right. that's what they're, that's what they're there for. I mean, the industry is going to go out there and try to get people to, you know, consume the product they're pr- producing. And that's not a surprising thing. Well, critics of capitalism will take that even further. And I'll put myself in this camp and say, addiction is the goal, right? I mean, the addiction is the dream of any capitalist enterprise where you're trying to get people to absolutely need your product, to want it so badly that they will invest their last cent in it. Of course, any kind of pushback on that is because is because there's an assertion of a public health frame around it. So like that's a kind of regulatory aspect. But like, let's be honest, the goal of these companies, like, yeah, they're going to say things and maybe they need to. But like, I would be really concerned that like we've seen with Facebook and the the social media addiction stuff, like you start to unearth what's going on in the the, the bowels of these companies. And um, it's a pretty nasty story. Yeah. And I tried to do a little bit of literature search to see how much information I could find on uh, some of the public health campaigns around problem gambling. I wasn't able to find much evidence that of uh, the effectiveness of these public health campaigns and public health advocacy around gambling. And a lot of the literature over the past few years has been, how do we make this work with kind of like the yeah. assumption already built into it that it's not working. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, has, I'm sure someone at some point has seen a having trouble with gambling, call this number and called them, you know, is that a cost-effective intervention? Is it helping a significant number of people? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of evidence that it is right now. And especially if it's just left to the industry to do that, it's unlikely. I mean, the incentives just aren't there. You know, I mean, you can yeah. you can talk about capitalism. We could also take a, you know, just classical microeconomic uh, framework. Like, why would they want to, you know, reduce consumption of their product? Of course. And that's precisely why regulatory frameworks exist, right? To have some kind of mode outside of that to push back. But certainly the kind of uh, excitement you see out of our legislature in Ohio, it's not clear. The same excitement seems to exist within uh, government as it does within industry. There's this kind of almost um, sense that this is happening everywhere. We got to get on board with it and, you know, put some kind of framework around it. But like, you know, there wasn't going to be Ohio taking a stand on on sports betting. Yeah, and hey, if you raise a whole bunch of money off of sports bet- betting, like let's say you raise a couple hundred million dollars and you use that to expand the earned income tax credit, I mean, that could have pretty big benefits. Like we've done a earned income tax credit cost benefit analysis, and there are pretty big public health benefits to reducing infant mortality. There's education benefits to getting people to graduate from high school and enroll in college, just to having more cash in the pockets of low income people, you know? Yeah. Would that outweigh it? I mean, we'd have to do a full CBA to figure it out, but there could be a lot of benefits that come just from the revenue that's raised from legalizing something. You said there could be. I mean, is this what we're going to do? Is this the plan? Oh, I don't know what the dollars are going to go to, actually. And I, th- I don't think that there's restrictions on them in the legislation. Um, but, I ne- uh, but I haven't dug into the legislation to that level to see where it's earmarked towards. It's not like, I don't think it's like the lottery. I mean, the lottery in the Constitution says this has to go towards education purposes. Yeah. 
so let's talk a little bit about sports generally. You know, and you and I had a, a pre-conversation about this. I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. Um, I actually don't know. I think you're like a crew fan or something, right? You're, you, you like some sports, right? I hate soccer. Don't even, do, don't, you? do not get me, don't try to put me on the record and saying that I like soccer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only sport I truly hate. This is, this is, this, the podcast doesn't tend to break news, but <laughs> we just, we just did. So what do you, what sports do you follow? I like college football. Uh, I like college basketball. I, I do fantasy football, so I do NFL. Um, I like NBA too. I, honestly, I'll watch anything besides soccer. Don't, you know. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. So noted. Um, I have observed because, you know, I have a TV, for example, this proliferation of data. I mean, it's absolutely central to sports. I hear a disagreement among some coaches about, you know, what is this high-end analytics doing to sports? Is it making teams, you know, is it destroying the game? First of all, is one question, right? Like all these very technical maneuvers and little nudges here and there might not be the best thing or the most exciting thing for fans to watch and, and, and all of that. Um, but you, you watch TV, you, you put on ESPN and right next to what used to be just, you know, uh, you know, runs batted in and home runs and batting averages. Now you have DraftKings, um, you know, betting lines right there, right next to it. And as you mentioned before, I mean, that, that's something that was not true five years ago. Uh, they are inside the stadiums now. They're inside the teams. In fact, since, well, now that I know you're not a big soccer fan, just the other day, the Columbus crew announced that they were signing a formal agreement with a sportsbook company, Tipico. And, you know, they, they, they characterize this as their their official betting partner. I mean, sports teams have official betting partners wow. now. And I, I see DraftKings advertisements all over the place. So I, I guess I'm just wondering, analytics seem equal parts about winning games and gambling. There's a, a story here just about what sports are becoming as well, in addition to this already sort of fraught question of you know people's economic position who are spending their last dimes on a ticket to a sporting event right things like that yeah i mean the are sports being made more interesting or more boring i mean a lot of people have talked about this in Moneyball with baseball and how you know it used to be like okay let's get get the guy who can hit the ball the furthest and that's fun to watch and now it's like who can watch the ball go past and get a walk you know which is i think pretty objectively less exciting you know um Mm -hmm. but but on the other hand, you also have things like the NFL where coaches had incentives in the past to be very conservative, to not uh, go on fourth down, to kick the ball instead, because, you know, there was a loss aversion thing there where if they made the fourth and one, they'd be, people would be like, oh, cool. But if they lost the fourth and one, they'd be like, oh, you're an idiot coach, you know? And now right. Anal- right. analytics are showing more and more, okay, you should be going on certain situations, which makes it more exciting to watch for the fans. So. I think that can break both ways, you know, as far as like the deep social, you know, that that's, that's a fun thing. <laughs> as far as the yeah. deep social impacts go, we are getting information that we didn't have before. And like 10 years ago, it would have been very interesting to see what the betting line was on certain, uh, you know, football games or baseball games or basketball or something like that. But even Googling it, it was hard to find back then. And now it's, on ESPN, they will put, okay, these are the two teams that are playing against each other, and this is the betting line. And that's just common. That's just, you know, it, that's happening with everything. And something that I think you'll be interested in, Dan, I think we talked about this a little bit before, and is 
uh, really relevant for this podcast is that this has got into politics where people are betting on political outcomes. Now you go to predictit.com and this is a website where you can go and make a bet and it fits the definition of a bet because you are saying, I am predicting this is going to happen on a range of different political outcomes. And like right now you can go in there and place a bet on who the Republican nominee will be in 2024, or you can make a bet on the number of dollars that are going to be in the reconciliation bill next year in Congress. Like, and it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's interesting that people are making bets on this. It's also interesting because we're getting a new form of political information. If I'm on a political campaign, you know, and something comes out in the news, you know, there's some scandal in the news. I can go onto this betting website and see right away, are people dumping their shares? And if they're not dumping their shares, that generally shows like, maybe I shouldn't worry about this scandal as much because people who are, you know, maybe some reporter worries about it, but like, maybe I should just ignore that reporter because people who are actually betting on this and putting their dollars behind it don't aren't taking this seriously. That's a new type of political information that is pretty valuable to not only to campaigns, but actually reporters should be paying attention to a lot. I know Nate Silver pays attention to it, but a lot of reporters are missing this piece of political information, which is really valuable. And the reason that they're missing it a lot of the time is because reporters want to break news. They want to say, Hey, this is a really exciting story. And if the markets don't, you know, if, if betters don't dump their shares, then that kind of says, no, this actually isn't a story. You know, I actually love doing that. If I see something, you know, I get a text from someone saying, oh my God, this thing happened in the administration. Like this is such a big deal. I go over to predictit.com and if people aren't, you know, if the markets aren't moving, I'm like, okay, it really isn't a big deal. You know, nothing is actually happening here. And Nate Silver, of course, since you mentioned him, you know, 538.com, I mean, he started as a baseball analytics guy, right? That That's where his heart is. And I, I, way before the politics stuff started and, you know, there's still a good deal of that kind of work happening, on, in, you know, out of 538. And so, so like, you know, certainly people who have a skill set can apply it to different places. Predictive analytics are going to be predictive analytics, no matter where you apply them. So I, I do think it's interesting. Um, and I know I sound a little old timey, like, you know, come on, can't we just like, you know, play, play ball or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> And and I and I do mean that because it just genuinely depresses me, you know. When I when I see this being the the front, it was always this kind of secondary thing, right? But now I'm seeing it kind of almost move to the front, and I I really do think that. I mean, I'm editorializing here, but it's my own damn podcast, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> uh, you know, that we're going to see some some scandals, right? Probably, but I do think that you know we are in a kind of new terrain here. But like, honestly, um, the unknowns are pretty big here. And it's interesting to see the legislature not more concerned about the unknowns than they appear to be. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get more data once this is legalized, which it seems like is going to happen. Um, I mean, I wonder if more people are, if if we're going to see any movement in the number of problem gamblers. And I think, honestly, best practice, what should be happening is, this sort of bill should have a writer on it to have an evaluation of the program. I mean, there, there should be a, an eval, some money that's put aside to say, all right, let's evaluate and have a survey that happens before and after and see if we have changes in prevalence of problem gambling. That's something, you know, any big piece of legislation should have 1% put aside for evaluation. So we know if it actually works, that's a really good investment. And honestly, if we go out and find out that something doesn't work, we can just, we can repeal the law and, 
that can pay for itself really easily. Like if we aren't evaluating policies, we're basically just flying blind. Final question for you is, what are you going to be watching over the next year or so as this unfolds? I mean, what are some signs uh, that, that will be you know, meaningful to you? I don't know if you have plans to continue to convene this group of economists to look at this again and see how it all pans out. But any, anything that we should be looking for or that you're going to be looking for that might be worth sharing? We're probably not going to get numbers on problem gambling. That would be a top line outcome that I would be interested in this. And we're probably not going to get numbers because probably no one's going to fund a survey on it. Hmm. Um, Something we are going to get information on is revenue. We're going to find out how much money this is going to raise for the state. And we're going to get numbers too on how big the industry is. Those are going to be interesting. I'll be interested to see going to your question about how Ohio is different from other states. I wonder if Ohio's uh, gambling industry is going to be larger per capita than other states. I wonder if we're going to raise more or less revenue compared to other states. If it's like 90% of the statistics we look at for Ohio will probably be probably be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, but if we, if we were especially high or especially low, that would be interesting. And I would want to dig more into that. Great. Well, as always, thanks for the work you do. Thanks for sharing the work you do with us and also just being willing to talk about it. You know, sometimes when I read a report like that, you know, there's just real value and I I miss it. I miss having a beer and sitting around with people and talking and unpacking a little bit or seeing where else it takes you. So this is the best we can do right now during this pandemic and and we're going to keep doing it here. But hopefully uh, when you do learn things, you'll check in with us and let us know what's going on. Yeah, and thanks for doing this great podcast. I mean, we need people out there who are willing to talk to geeks like me and have these conversations, so thanks. Awesome. Many thanks to Rob for joining me on the show. You can read more about his work with Scioto Analysis in our show notes at prognosisohio.com and wcbe.org. It's under the Podcast Experience tab. This episode of Prognosis Ohio was hosted and produced by Dan Skinner. The music was produced by Kyle Rosenberger. To learn more about Prognosis Ohio and to check out our social media, support the show, and connect with us, please visit our website at prognosisohio.com. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. We'll be back in your feed soon with our 100th episode, in which I talk to none other than Senator Sherrod Brown. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. Thanks for listening and be well.